Good morning, church. Please turn with me in your Bibles or in your bulletin to two passages, Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 to 18, and chapter 35, verses 1 to 3. Now, don't fear, we're not going backwards in Exodus, just going back to 31 to provide the background to this passage that we're, we've come to in our regular study of Exodus chapter 35, both of them united by the same theme of the Sabbath day. As you're turning there, let me ask you this question. What happens when you are anxious and afraid? How are you responding to that? We know don't we, that our natural response is fight or flight. If I am endangered, if I'm afraid, I'm either going to fight or I'm going to run. But those with insight into our personalities and into our emotions, into our physical beings tell us that that there is another way to respond to anxiety and to fear. And One of the primary ways, one of the primary solutions, antidotes to our anxiety and fear is found in the passage that God's brought us to in His providence today. Begin reading in chapter 31, verses 12 to 18, and then we'll read 35, 1 to 3. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. In chapter 35, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The last several weeks I've interviewed uh, a couple of the therapists at the Christian Psychological Center. I've interviewed them for our podcast at this church. It's called Second Look. It's on our website. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. But those therapists, Brent Stenberg, the director of the Christian Psychological Center, 
And John Tenniswood have given us some insights into dealing with our anxieties and our fears. Two thoughts have come out of those, those uh, interviews for me, and there are many insightful things, but two thoughts have, have given me a pause, a lot of insight into what is, what is going on in me as well as in our world. Dr. Stenberg said, for instance, that the, the reason we feel anxious is that we are uncertain. When there is uncertainty, when we're not getting good information, we feel anxious. We don't know what's happening around us. We don't know what's happening in the future. We're having trouble getting, getting good information on what is happening in our world or with the virus. Whenever there is, whenever there is uncertainty, we are anxious. Uncertainty. John Tenniswood said that just as we have this natural uh, instinct to fight or flee when we're faced with fear, he says we can consciously choose to rest and digest. Against fighting and fleeing, we must rest and digest, take things, and not just digesting physically, but emotionally taking in the good that is around us. But that is an intentional choice. It's something that must be pursued. And our good Father, if you will look with me carefully in this text, our good Father has given us a day in which we may grow certain, in which we may find rest, just what we need. Now look how he begins in uh, chapter 31 particularly in verses 12 and 13 and later in 17, God says, these are the things that I want you to think about, to ponder, to experience on my day because they will bring you certainty. Now, let me say at the beginning of the, that from the beginning of creation until the resurrection of Christ, we learned this in our catechism, the, 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 the believers, those who, those, the people of God celebrated the seventh day, Saturday, as the Sabbath day. And then from the creation, when God, uh, from, the, from the resurrection, when Christ was raised on the first day of the week, Christians have celebrated Sunday, the first day of the week, as the Lord's Day or the Sabbath day. I recognize that some of us are in, in jobs or occupations that require us to work on, on Sunday. And the principle that I want you to appreciate from this text is not to get hung up so much on this particular day. Is it Saturday or Sunday, even though for the majority of the whole world, and even in Christians in particular, it is, it is the Lord's Day. There must be one day in seven intentionally set aside for the recollection of these certainties as well as the experience of rest. And the certainties that we are given begin in the very first verse of each of our passages. When God says to, when God speaks to Moses. 
We've already learned when we studied the revelation of God at Mount Sinai when He gave Moses the commandments, we learned that God told the people of Israel, He assured the people of Israel, these are my words that God, that Moses is writing down, that He is going to speak to you, and you can know this, you can know it objectively by the miracles I'm providing to accompany it. You can feel it, you can hear it, you can see it, I am speaking to Moses my word for you. And we learned there as well that God set up by that a principle by which we would know which books belong in the Bible. Whenever a prophet would say, I'm speaking God's Word or writing God's Word, the first test was, is it in continuity with what God has already spoken through Moses? If it contradicts it, it's not there. It's not going to be included. And furthermore, it had to be accompanied by a miraculous sign witnessed by a sizable number. And you may know then that the book that you hold in your hand and you call the Bible, it could not be any more certainly God's Word than if Jesus were sitting next to you in the pew and speaking it into your ear. This is God's Word. You may know for certain God has spoken to you, and He has spoken to you truth. This is what we need. We need truth. In a world that is vying for our attention, that is polarizing us, in a world of social networking and social media and media, trying to pit us against each other because it makes companies trillions of dollars when they do, we need to know truth. I recently watched uh, the network, uh, the uh, Netflix documentary, docudrama, Social Dilemma. I'd urge you to look at that and, 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 and learn what, what is happening to us by means of algorithms where we are being, we are being uh, polarized. We are put into our echo chambers and, and we are being isolated from one another and more and more from a commitment to truth. We're being pitted against one another even in the church. It's all a result of a manipulation, a manipulative effort by giant companies that make money off of hatred. And what uh, makes that uh, docudrama especially uh, uh, convincing is that it's it, the, the, the ones who are being interviewed are the, the founders of social media, major social media. Google and Gmail and, and Facebook and Instagram, Pinterest. And two interviews particularly stood out to me near the end when this is an overwhelming experience to see what is happening in our, in our culture. Kathy O'Neill, Dr. Kathy O'Neill, who has a Ph.D. in, in artificial intelligence. Dr. Kathy O'Neill said, AI, artificial intelligence, can't solve the problem of fake news because it, that is artificial intelligence, doesn't know what truth is. And Tristan Harris used to be an ethicist for Google, but he was disillusioned and left that company. If we don't agree on what is truth, we're toast. 
We can't navigate any of our problems if we don't agree on what truth is. Here we, we hear the world crying out for truth, and yet these two experts couldn't tell us what truth is. We have truth. It may not speak, the Bible may not speak to every precise issue you deal with, but there is a principle of Scripture that speaks into every issue that confronts you in your life and in our culture. And God gives it to us. You say, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to become a student of the Bible. I don't have time to attend Bible studies during the week and so forth. They're too early. They're too late. They're in the middle of the day, whatever it is. Well, God has given you one whole day in which you may read your Bible or study your Bible. If you don't get to it any other day of the week, and you should, but if you don't get to any other day of the week, you have the Lord's day. He gives it to you that He might reinforce to you the certainty of His truth. Second certainty He gives us that He reminds us of in the Lord's day is, is His love. You notice in our text it says, you will keep these Sabbaths plural. That is not just this coming uh, Sabbath, but day after day, after week after week after week, and for generations to come. This is, a, this is an eternal covenant. Well, you say, now how do we make a decision here? And there are lots of laws that are sprinkled throughout this section, and we don't uh, keep all of them. We don't, uh, we, don't, we don't apply all of them in the same way that we did that they were to in the Old Testament. Why do you single this one out? Because when a law is rooted in creation and is, re is emphasized again in the New Testament and promised to be experienced in eternity, we take that as something that is permanent. So God rested on the seventh day and was refreshed. There is the institution of the Sabbath principle. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that there is a Sabbath, there remains a Sabbath for the people of God, and that is what we long for. The point is that as we, as we celebrate a Sabbath day weekly, what we experience one day in seven, we long for this to be experienced eternally. We long for the day when we'll not, be, not just be set, a, separate, set us free from our, our physical labors, but we'll be set free from all our burdens, and we'll only rest into all of eternity. And then we will see the one who gives us that Sabbath rest, the one who has brought us rest spiritually, physically, emotionally. It will be Jesus Christ. Now, how does that relate to this day? If you can find it quickly, turn to the middle of your Bibles in Psalm 92. Psalm 92. And look at the very beginning of it. In the all caps there at the top, Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. Okay, here's something that you can sing on the Sabbath day. And what is it? What is it? In verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. 
You ever wonder why we worship morning and evening, have two different services, different styles, different sermons, one at the beginning of the day, one at the end of the day, because believers have always worshiped morning and evening on the Sabbath day. Double sacrifices, morning and evening, and the church has consistently worshiped morning and evening. And we do it for not only by that pattern, but because of passages like Psalm 92. Here is something we can sing. Here is something we can structure into our day to remind us of these truths. In the morning, we are reminded that God loves us. That's not something that we believe naturally. And so we have to be reset. We have to be reminded in this worship service, God loves you. If Christ is your Savior, He loves you. And as the day winds down and you prepare for the call of the evening and, and you think about the coming week, you, you need to be remembered that this God who loves you is the one who keeps His faithfulness with you. There's no more tangible way to, to seal that to your heart and mind than opening the Lord's day in corporate worship and closing the Lord's day in corporate worship, remembering the love and faithfulness of God. There's another certainty. God's truth is certain. God's love for you is certain. Finally, God's salvation is certain. He says, I want you to keep this Sabbath day because I want you to remember that I am the one who sanctifies you. God says, I have set you apart. I want, I want the world to know that you're set apart. Not that you're holier than they are, that is, in a way that, that demeans them, but I want them to see in your schedule. I want them to see in your schedule that you're different and that I'm the one who blesses you with this difference. They're frantic, they're terrified. And they wonder why you have a different kind of confidence. I want them to see that something has, to do, has something to do with the way you spend the Lord's day. Abraham Heschel, Jewish scholar, said, the kind of people we are is determined by, the, by our view of the Sabbath. And not only do we need to be seen as those who are set apart by God for different purposes, we need, to, we need to remember, I, he says, I sanctify you, I save you. On this day, when we experience seven days worth of provision for only six days of labor, we remember that just as we, just as we rest from all our common laborers, our ordinary activities, we rest from all further attempts to make God love us anymore. We rest. He saved us. He's declared He loves us. He speaks truth to us. These are the foundations of certainty. This is the, these are the antidotes to anxiety. What is true? God loves me. God saves me. So what do we do in response to that? When we realize His certainty for us and it removes our anxiety, how will the Lord's day address our fears, our fight or flight responses? It brings us rest. 
Now, I changed the subpoints in your bulletin, and you'll be relieved to know I've reduced them to three instead of four. And they are these. Instead of working, accomplishing, acquiring, or worrying, I changed them because I was only telling you what not to do. Cease from working, from accomplishing, from acquiring, and worrying. And that's good news. Those are, those, we have divine permission to, to cease from those things. But I didn't tell you what to do. And, and so these are the subpoints instead. They are ceasing, embracing, and feasting. Now, those aren't my words. That's not original to me. Marva Dawn has written a wonderful little book called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, meaning holistically, keeping the Sabbath day holistically. Marva Dawn has arranged that book in four sections, resting, ceasing, embracing, and feasting. And then each one has seven chapters under it. So over the course of 28 days, you can, there's a, a short devotion, rather short devotional reading on the Sabbath day under each of those under each of those major headings. Well, I've rearranged it, and I, I've just put these, those three words under resting. Now, what does it mean to rest? It means, it means to cease. It means to embrace. It means to feast. Let me tell you what I mean. Our text tells us that, that God, by His own example, rested and was refreshed. It wasn't that He was just passive but rather he was fueled up. He, he, he gives us a day that is not just for the sake of, of cooling our heels and causing us physically to rest, but it is a day for filling us, refreshing us as his people. And we get at that by ceasing. Ceasing from those labors, ceasing from those thoughts, ceasing from those activities that drain us through the week. Those things that cause us death by a thousand cuts, even things that are good. I'm not going to tell you what to do or what not to do on the Lord's day. That's a decision you make as a priest before God. There's, there's no reason to, to make laws about whether you can read or whether you can run or whether you can throw a Frisbee or whether you can, whether you can look at a computer or, or whether you can watch a football game or what you have to do or what you have not to do. What the, the, what the Lord is telling you to do is to cease that which is killing you. You say, now this doesn't seem so very gracious when God says, if you don't do this, I will kill you. But see, this is the way God has to deal with us at times. There's only one instance when someone died for not keeping the Sabbath day, and then, and then there's not much historical record of this ever being made uh, a capital crime. It was, it was the threat. And God had to shake us. He has to wake us up. It's something like my, it's, a, it's a strategy my parents used. Maybe your parents used it on you as well. They'd tell me to do things or tell me not to do things, and in my heart, I would roll my eyes. I was too afraid to roll my eyes where they could see me, but in my heart, I'd roll my eyes and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they would say, and if you don't do it, we're taking your car away from you. What? That's a sentence of death. I'd say, take my car away from me. They had to get my attention. This is for your good. 
But you're not taking it that way. We've got to wake you up. But you know, God really doesn't have to threaten us with death. Because our neglect of the Sabbath day, that is our neglect of resting physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially on the Lord's day is killing us. Even in the pandemic when we think every day is a kind of rest day, if we're not preparing, if we're not intentionally entering into the Lord's day, is it any wonder that our relationships in our home, relationships among some of you in the church, are strained? Why we all have a hairpin trigger? Is it any wonder why we're, we're suffering emotionally? The Lord designed us to work six days, to rest and be refreshed on this day. It means ceasing, ceasing. And then it means embracing. Resting means embracing. Embracing is, to, is, is, not, to, is not just focusing on what we're not going to do, but it is moving toward the good that God offers us. God says on this day, I want you intentionally to focus on relationships. I want you to focus on your relationship with me. You're distracted by so many things. I want you to focus on your relationship with each other. And may I say that your social media is not going to help you with that. This may be a day that you lay off of social media and, and do a novel thing like calling someone or write them a letter. Or go and visit them from six feet away. At least get that close. It is to work on your relationship with others. Work on your relationship with yourself. Stopping such distractions that, so that you can at least stop and feel. Finally, resting means feasting. Remember I said... Mr. Tenniswood said at the, crisis, at the uh, Christian Psychological Center, he said that uh, the opposite of, of, of fight or flight is rest and digest. It is a time to feast. It's, to have, it's a time to have meals together. It's a time to feast on God's Word. It's a time to come and feast at the Lord's table on the Lord's day. It's a time to feast in the creation. It, keeping the Lord's Day doesn't mean that you sit in a straight-back chair all day looking, memorizing the catechism like Laura Ingalls Wilder complained about. Or it doesn't mean that you sleep all day. It doesn't mean that you do anything all day long. But, it, but there must, there could be a time to, there, there, there should be a something that, you, that you, you find emotionally refreshing. Maybe it's getting into the creation. Maybe it's a hobby. But it is something that, that refreshes you emotionally. You see how the Lord's Day provides opportunity for this certainty of His truth, of His love, of His, of His, of His peace. Certainty of His salvation. And that then enables you to rest. And that rest gives you permission to cease. It gives you, 
It gives you encouragement to embrace that which is emotionally refreshing and socially resting and calls you to celebrate in anticipation of that day when Jesus Christ, our rest, will welcome us into our final Sabbath rest and we will feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. You said it was made for us. We were not made for it. Oh, Lord, make us disciples of Christ who would follow you in keeping this day, worshiping you as you ordain and enjoying you forever. We pray it in Jesus' name for his sake and God's people said together, amen.